All right, well, good morning and welcome again to Press Church. My name is Sean Lee, and I'm the lead pastor here. Um, and I just, a formal welcome to everybody here, uh, as well as everybody watching online. I hope you have a great week, and I'm glad to see you back here today. Um, if you uh, would like, we have a QR code on the screen where you can take your phone out, and you can see all of the different things that are happening here at Press Church. There's also links to connect with us, and so uh, this is a very easy way to connect with us. Uh, if you don't like doing the whole QR code thing, I am always out at the lobby by the Connect Desk after service, so if you do have questions... Um, Please come say hi. I'd be happy to help you. Um, as far as things coming up, I want to highlight like three things today. First, ladies, in like four weeks, we have the IF conference. This is a ladies conference, a women's, I said ladies conference, a women's conference. That sounded kind of weird. <laughs> a ladies conference. I don't even, yeah, it sounds weird. Uh, it's a women's conference, and ladies, you need to sign up for it. It's going to be a great time uh, just of encouragement, of time together, um, and just to get away from the craziness of life. So um, make somebody watch your kids, uh, whatever, whatever it takes, get here. It's going to be a good time for all ages. Uh, I don't know, junior high and up, like, it would be good. So talk to somebody. Uh, Chrissy Bontrager, uh, if you have questions, she would be happy to give you any more information on that. But make sure you put that. It's February 23rd and 24th, all right? February 23rd, 24th, make sure you make that a priority. Uh, next, uh, youth tonight, 5 to 7, we have new times. So it's a little earlier, 5 to 7. Tonight, youth starting. Uh, make sure to get your youth here. It's going to be a great time. Also, young adult hangout after church today. If you consider yourself a young adult, fine. I'm not, like, checking people's, you know, IDs or anything. Uh, but if you consider yourself a young adult, hang out after church, ordering some pizza, hanging out. It's going to be a good time. Make sure that uh, you come to that. And also, uh, just to let you guys know, uh, we don't do any of this without your support. So I want to encourage you today, if, if you are um, somebody here that wants to be generous, I'm encouraged that today. We don't do any of this without your giving. And so we have a text to give number that you can use. We have links through our QR code, and we also have a box by the back exit that you can drop off your support. Um, this last Sunday, we were able to celebrate some of the great things that we did after service. Um, the amount of baptisms we had last year, record number for Christmas Eve, um, just there's a lot of great things happening, and it's because of your support and your willingness to step in uh, that we can do this stuff. So let's start the year off good. Let's continue to give and be generous and see how God works through that generosity. All right, crazy train. Anybody feel like your relationships are crazy train? You're on a crazy train, right? And, of course, it's the other person. We all know that. It's the other person who's the crazy one. It's not me. But anyways, last year, last week, last year, not quite. Last week, we began to talk about, um, about things that we do in response to fear in our relationships, um, specifically fear of rejection. We talked about that last week, how the fear of rejection makes us do crazy things and say and become things. And really, in our attempt to be accepted, um, we become something that we are not. Um, and that is where we become crazy. We become crazy by being something that we're not, not to be uh, rejected and to be accepted. And so this week we're going to uh, be kind of in that same vein and looking at a, a, a crazy another crazy indicator that is about that is really fear driven, uh, and that is the the indicator of the need to control. Does anybody have somebody in their life that is just overly controlling? And again, I know it's not you. You're not the. You're not. I, I know none of you guys have that problem. But uh, but the thing is, out of fear, we do we control. We don't want to get hurt. So out of a desire not to be hurt, we control. 
And so we're going to be digging today, what does it look like to uh, give that to God? What does it look like to not have this controlling element in our relationships? Uh, if you are newer here at Press, every week our teaching team gets together, and we hop in a car, and we actually talk through the message for today. So I'm going to cue the video and have you guys direct your attention to the screens. So, control. Control. <laughs> control. I think, I think we all control in different ways. Yes. Like, of course. Uh, well, and that gets very challenging if you want to enter into healthy relationships. Yes. <laughs> if, if, and, and again, the only person you can control is yourself, really. Yes. I mean, yeah. you can yes. try and exert control over other people, but... You at, can manipulate others, but you really can't control them. Right. Yes. And manipulation yeah. is rarely a good thing, unless well, you're at the chiropractor. Here's the thing. Manipulation is short-term. Yes. Th th this yes. is the thing that I always talk about, you know, even as a, for church, like, I, I want to encourage people into faith in Jesus. I want to yeah. give a good reason and all this. If, but if I just manipulate emotions for a response, I may get a response that day. Mm-hmm. But it's not long term, right? Uh, and I think that's that's the thing. You know, when it comes to control, yeah, a lot of us do manipulate in relationships, and that's part of why it's such a maybe a crazy indicator is because it's a short term thing that ultimately neither side wins. So the real question is, what what does that come out of? Like, where is this 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 desire to control, yeah. control others, control the situation? What is that coming out of? Yeah, well, and. Do Similar we have any last, guesses? It's, it's, it's like last week. It's a, it's a fear response. Fear. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think it's really, really important to examine where's this fear coming from? Mm. Like, what, what are we afraid of? Mm. What is driving us to do things like manipulate, mm -hmm. control mm -hmm. when we enter into relationships? What are we afraid of? Yeah. I mean, and is that the way that God commands us to engage? Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't could, think so. The desire to feel something. I want to feel. I want to feel loved. Yeah. So I'm going to control it to how I feel loved. Right. Um, yeah. I, I want to feel cared for. And wanna, alternately, you don't want to. Uh, you're afraid of not feeling loved. Not, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I wish I could remember the you know from the office. Michael Scott had a time where they asked him as a leader, would he rather be loved or feared? And you know he went through this whole thing. About, <laughs> he says, "I want them to be afraid of how, how much, much they, they love me." me. <laughs> yes. And, that's kind of you know I feel like there are times in parenting or in you know relationships like that you you, you go back and forth. Do I exert control and use fear or? Yeah. Do, oh, it's so hard to know because uh, you do want what's best for the people around you like yeah. generally speaking I, I don't control you to make you miserable I, you know that's mm. I guess there are people who are that evil who do that but yeah generally speaking right but I think in the hierarchy we we put ourselves you know yeah. well how's it gonna impact me yes. first <laughs> well I think we lean on our own understanding we Ooh. trust ourselves yeah. right and uh, this Look is you getting all biblical I'm, CR. I'm just saying there's a there's a thing there and uh, because uh, we aren't trusting God, yes. that God's actually in uh, control, in control, yeah, and that yeah. He loves us and He loves yeah. the other people around us as mm -hmm. well, right? Yeah, yeah. So we somehow think if we can just exert control, if we can just mm. get them to behave the way we want them to behave, yeah. everything will be better. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's like mm, not necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's a, you're not going to win that way. No. Not ultimately. But it does, I mean, honestly, the hard part in all that is discerning. How do I know when I'm exerting control and not trusting God? Because mm-hmm. sometimes in trusting God, he calls us to action. Right. Yes. And so we, it's not a passive trust. Yeah. It's an active trust. And, and finding disciplines in your life, finding habits in your life that help you cultivate that is the only way you're going to combat the need to control everything. And so, you know, it really comes down to, so where, where am I trusting God to be in control? And what's that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, to start off, I want to look at the definition of control. So control is this. It says exerting influence over one's environment or the action or behaviors of another person. And I, I think the issue comes in with the need to do that, or maybe even the purpose for that control. Because I think it points to something bigger. As we've discussed in the series, it's about finding indicators that ultimately keep us in a, a space where our relationships are struggling. And, and I think you can think of it almost like a, a warning light in your car. You know, you guys got that check, that check engine light comes on, and, you know, we like to ignore it. But it tells you something isn't right. Something, something is wrong here. And if left unexamined, it causes more headaches than in the future than if you were to just address it now. If you just address it now, and, and that's not to say it's going to be easy right now. You know, if you have to fix your car, it's still going to cost something. But you know if you don't get it fixed, it's like, well, that's going to lead to something even greater in the future. And so working through this stuff can be really hard. It's not to say that uh, the issues that we have in our relationships are easy or uh, just uh, some flip and say, oh, yeah, just work on it. It's easy. It's, it's not easy. But if we don't work at it, the problem is going to persist, and it's just going to get worse. So when it comes to these indicators, whether it be, you know, we talked about crazy expectations, we talked about fear of rejection, and now this need for control, there's usually valid reasons why we do this. There's valid reasons why we act the way we act. I have a reason to control the situation. I have a reason to be afraid of being rejected. But just because we can justify it doesn't mean it's good, doesn't mean it's okay. And so... When we talk about this needing for control, I, I, I see it played out in a couple ways. And these, there's multiple ways this is played out. But I think of this. I think of, you know, the way you maybe micromanage or set rigid rules in relationships. Maybe you've been in a relationship like that. There were very rigid rules. We become overprotective. I think sometimes as a parent, that can be really easy to be overprotective of your kids. You control it. Maybe out of fear for them to get hurt. You, you, you control it can lead to habitual lying. By lying, I control the narrative, right? I control what is true in this relationship. And so it could lead to lying, all in an attempt to protect myself. Usually, it's about me. That's the core motivation. How does it make me feel? What do I get from it? And I think at our best, as Jason mentioned this even in the video, we try to make things mutually beneficial. But I think in general, I am the focus. I'm the one I'm thinking about. Uh, we can bring this into our spiritual life. As long as this God stuff is beneficial to me, then it's cool. As long as I can make it work for me and it's good and I'm seeing benefit. And again, it's our way of controlling. We play this mini God role. I'm the one in control. 
some of you uh, may have been around. This is actually this series that we're doing. We did a couple years ago. And uh, for this week, I worked through part of Abraham's life. Um, if you know, Abraham was a great man of faith, given promises by God, he had a covenant with God. And I talked about, about Abraham's life, and his story takes some weird turns. If you've, if you've never ridden, read through uh, the Abraham narrative, there's some weird stuff that goes on in there. There's some things that Abraham does that doesn't really make sense either. I mean, he, he seemingly tried to control a situation that put other people in harm's way. He lied about his wife being his sister to seemingly protect himself. He did that twice. And then his wife, who was barren at the time, was so impatient to see God's promise of having offspring that she offered and encouraged Abraham to sleep with another woman so that they would have offspring. So you got this, like, soap opera going on. It's crazy. And... I focused last time on how our need for control ends up hurting other people and how it's really focused on us protecting ourselves. But after studying it more this week, I'm not sure that that's the best use of that passage. The, the passage, the point of that passage is not focused necessarily on giving a moral judgment of Abraham's uh, actions or what Sarah did. And, and really, you have differing commentaries on what Abraham did. There's some that, that justified what he did in a way that was actually good and holy, and then there's some that demonize it and say he was bad and he was just selfish, and it's like, what is it? But I think if we take a step back, we realize those scriptures aren't trying to accomplish that for the reader. They're not trying to give us a moral code. The main takeaway is about seeing that in spite of all of this, in spite of Abraham's either craziness or wisdom in the situation, God was working and he was bringing to fruition the promises that he gave to Abraham. And so I think that's good news for us, that we can take a step back and say, you know what, in spite of my craziness, whether I think I'm doing good or I think I'm doing bad, God is working. And it really led to this point that God works in spite of our attempts to control. God is still God. He works in spite of our attempt to control. And so... I'm actually not going to talk about that today because I want to talk about something else. And I want to go a little more controversial today. This is going to be fun. I want to talk about a passage that has the potential to rub you the wrong way. And I, but I do think it has the potential to transform the way you look at your relationships. And so I might get into a little trouble. And so we'll test how graceful you guys are today. You guys ready? I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. If you're going to follow, if you have your Bibles and want to follow we make you guys lazy. We got, we got all this stuff. So we're going to start in verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Starts off good. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Well, you, can, you, can keep, you can keep that one up for a while. Actually, my wife's not even here, so you watching, Bethany? I told you, I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble today. All right, you can go. You can go. It's fine. All right, I guess we can get to the husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church 
without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Okay, where should I start? First, one of the hardest parts of communicating to a group of people is making sure that the words that I'm using are being understood properly. If I'm going to use a word that you have a different definition of, then we're going to be in trouble. Part of the difficulty of this passage in our culture today revolves around the assumption of what submission is. And so we have to talk about submission. But I want to first talk about what submission is not in the context of this verse. First, submission is not about privilege or dominance. Submission is not about privilege or dominance. I would argue that submission may not be the best word for us in our context just because of the connotation that comes with it. I think we instinctively think that submission is just giving up to power who, to someone who's going to lord it over us. But that is not the point of these verses. It's not meant to say that wives are servants to their husbands or have to follow every desire of their husband. Which leads me to the other thing of what submission is not. Submission is not forced by another party. There's no indication here that either party forces the other to submit. This is not giving husbands permission to force their wives to obey them. And so over the years, people have used these verses as a way to build a hierarchy in the household. But that is not the motive behind Paul's writing here. This isn't about dominance. This isn't about power. And if you're using these verses for that, then I would, I would caution you to check your motives and check your heart. Also, make sure to note, it doesn't say women submit to men or men submit to women, but wives to husbands and husbands to wives. These verses are within the context of a committed, Christ-centered relationship. If these verses were about power or authority, you would almost expect that it would explain to men how we would be encouraged to rule in a particular way. Right after telling the wives to submit, it should lay out husbands, you should rule like this. But it doesn't, because it's not about power. Instead, what it does, it goes on to express what it means for the husband to then submit to his wife. It says to love and give themselves to their wives in the same way Christ did for the church. Men, I think we may need to let this sink in for a second. Give themselves as Christ gave himself. That's a high calling. And I think, not to speak for the ladies in this room, but if they were to know that a man was going to act that way towards them, they would be more than happy to be a part of that relationship. If they know they were going to fight for them and be sacrificial for them, sign me up. I may be wrong. I don't want to speak for the ladies here. This isn't about power, but of responsibility. Husbands, we have a responsibility to God for our wives. Not to be in control, but to be of benefit to her. 
I would argue these verses are not focused on authority, but rather what self-giving love looks like in a relationship. If we take a step back and look even at the first verse here that we went over, it says, submit to one another. The verses that follow are solely a description of what this looks like. It goes specifically into the context of marriage. But the start of this is not talking about married people. It's talking to the church. Submit to one another out of reverence. As Christ followers, we are called to submit to one another. And then it starts going into, let's describe what this may look like in some different relationships. And really what it comes down to, these verses are about mutual submission. Not just one person submitting, not just one person laying over and just doing whatever, but each person submitting to the other. It's funny, even me saying submitting, it's like, I, we still feel it. It's like, it's like, don't use that word. We can't say that word because we've been so ingrained that it brings power and it brings control. But these verses give us an example of how we as, as, as followers of Jesus should interact in relationships with each other. How we can honor God and honor each other in relationships. It's not fighting for power and control. It's truly thinking about and looking for ways that I benefit the other person. Who wouldn't want to be in a relationship where you knew that the other person was focusing on your benefit? So how do we live in mutual submission? What does that actually look like in our relationships? Not just in a marriage relationship, but in Christ-centered relationships. And so the first one today is this. God is not calling us to be walked all over. Okay, I want to I put that out there real quick. God is not calling us to just be walked over. This is not a, a call to let your husband force you to do whatever he wants or for any man to tell any woman what to do. In this passage, there is a foundation set. First, of being a Christ follower, and second, of being in a committed relationship. If these are not prerequisites in a relationship, then don't use this verse as a way to say, I just have to do what they tell me to do. Any attempt to use this passage to make someone inferior misses the heart of the text. I love this. I, I copied this from one of the, the books I was studying. It says, the text assumes that everyone in the community is supported and enhanced. Where that does not take place, a person will have to be wise enough to discern whether to forego his or her, her right or to seek justice. It assumes that you're in a community, in a relationship that is supported and enhanced. Number two, mutual submission is not focused on receiving, but on giving. This isn't a backwards way of just getting what you want. Guys, I think we're good at that. You know, we come home with the flowers and the chocolates. and Oh, here. And then the wife goes, what do you want? <laughs> wow, you've been really nice this week. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you want? The 
giving is not about getting something. This is truly an expression of love. It's showing how I love. It is, it's giving. If you think about this, if I just take care of myself, if that's my sole focus, if I just take care of myself, it may be at the expense of you or someone around me. When I'm just thinking of myself and what I get, other people may be hurt. However, if we take care of each other, it's a win-win situation. You are benefiting. I am benefiting. We are benefiting together. I actually, so this week, this is the joy of having, having children. I get to use them as examples in my message. Unfortunately, I don't know, see, my, my oldest is getting to the point where she can kind of remember, like, Daddy, did you talk about me today? So I'll probably get that when I get home because they're homesick today. But uh, so my oldest is eight and my middle child is five. And they're in the living room fighting about who gets to play the game that they want to play. So Sienna's like, I want to play this game. I don't want to play that game. And Jesus going, well, I want to play this game, and I don't want to play that. And of course, like, I'm cleaning up something, and I'm just hearing them yelling at each other. I'm like, you know, this is a good opportunity to tell them I'm going to be talking about this on Sunday. So I go, it's like, you know what? Daddy's going to be talking about this on Sunday. When we are so focused on getting what we want, all we can see is me. All we can see is how it benefits me. And I told them, I said, what if you think about what the other person wants. Sienna, what if you think about what Jude wants? Jude, what if you think about what Sienna wants? Guess what? You both will get to play the game that you want. Isn't that amazing? And I feel like, you know, we're all just kids and grown-up bodies. Those of you who aren't, like, grown-up yet, you're going to realize, like, you don't get out of that. You're, uh, we're, just, we're all big kids, like, and, and we, we can be selfish like kids, and we just, I, I would say it's like more intellectual arguments, but it's really not. Like, we're just, we're just all like big kids. But when you think about that, if the relationships that you were in, you knew the other person genuinely wanted to benefit you, how would that make you respond? Wouldn't, wouldn't that make you want to do the same? I think when, when Bethany and I, when my wife and I are, are, are in the best space, it is a joy to bless her. It is a joy to honor her and to support her. And, and usually in turn, she's doing the same for me. And so it's not a struggle for me getting what I want or her getting what she wants, but it's us coming together saying, I want to bless you. And that's what this is about. That's what mutual submission is about in your relationship, saying, I want to bless you, and I'm, and I'm, I'm trusting that you want to do the same. And now that's, I know that sounds like, it's like, oh, that's, that's, that's nice. I know it sounds unrealistic, but it's unrealistic because of how much, how we're so ingrained to just get what I want and think of me first. And so I would encourage us in those trusted relationships, in those rela- in our, with our spouses, with our close friends, think about that. Think of ways that I can be blessing the other person, that I can be giving, not out of what I can get out of it, but truly to bless them. Number three. Mutual submission is love enacted. In these passages, 
in these verses that we covered, we're really giving a, a look into what it looks like to express love to each other. And, and that's what I love, the, you know, the, even the indication of, of what Christ did. Christ is our example. He gave himself. And, and we have to be careful. I'm, I'm going to say this. I didn't really say this in the verse. Like, we have to be careful not to take some of these analogies that Paul uses to an extreme. Men, we are not, we don't represent fully what Christ represents to the church. So get off your high horse for a second. Like, we aren't. But it gives us a picture of sacrificial love. It gives us a picture of something greater. And that's what we need to think about. In, in this need for control, when we think about control, it's, it's about me. But in God's economy and the way that God has set up relationships, he's truly calling us to bless one another. And, and so it really comes down to the question, do I trust that God's way is the best way? Can I trust that, that the things that he calls me to are actually good and beneficial? That's really the question. And if you're in a relationship that you're not sure if the other person is going to actually be blessing you, then, then that's a conversation to be had. That's, that's a place that we need to seek God's wisdom but I think in its best, each person is giving. Each person is submitting for the benefit of the other. Dylan, you can come up. If, if you're someone who, who's struggling with control, or maybe you're in a relationship that there's some control issues, one of the best ways to fight that is to focus on ways to serve the other person. And I know for some of us that is really hard. When I feel like I'm not getting what I want from my wife, when I feel like she's not loving me the way that I need to, the last thing I'm thinking of is what does she need? And I, I would think that it's probably the same for all of us in different relationships, you know. Well, they haven't texted me, so I'm not going to text them. They haven't called. They haven't invited me to something. No, I'm not going to invite them for a while. And we can be petty. But I think we need to start thinking about how we can bless the other person. And that is... Potentially scary because what if they don't do it back? But I don't think God calls us necessarily to give just to get. So I want to do this. I want to challenge us just kind of as a, as maybe a practical step this week. Um, if you're somebody who prays, hopefully you pray. I want to encourage you every morning, maybe set a reminder or something where, where you remind yourself that I want to be a blessing to somebody today. I want to submit to my friends. I want to submit to my spouse. I want to benefit the people in my life. 
And I want you to, to do that in the morning. Start your day off. Set, set, set your mind in that track. When I go to work, I want to bless my coworkers. I want to submit to my coworkers. I want them to know that I care about their benefit. But I want you to do that. I want you, maybe you need to set a reminder. Maybe you need to, to write a, a note on your mirror. Start your day that way. And I'm just going to say that I'm going to trust God to bless that. We're going to trust that God's going to bless those actions. Again, not, not looking to get something. I know, this is like, Ugh, but I want, I want them to do something back. But not even thinking about that, just saying, God, I want to be used as a blessing. And we will fight those desires for control. You'll see yourself starting to lose those desires for control. That's my challenge to us this week. Let's pray. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love for us. I, th I thank you for the relationships that you've put in our lives. And, and God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage and the discipline to love those around us. That this idea of submission would not be one of giving away power, authority, or dominance, God, but it, it would be led out of a heart to serve and to benefit the relationships in our lives. God, give us wisdom when we need to seek justice. Give us wisdom when we're maybe being naive. But God, give us courage to take that first step of being a blessing and work on our hearts so it's not just self-motivated, God, but truly out of a space of just loving people, the very thing that you've called us to do. God, we thank you for this time together, and I thank you for everybody listening and, and the different relationships, God. Bless our relationships. Give us wisdom in our relationships, God. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to invite you to stand and join us as we continue to worship this morning.